mother Lois in your mother Eunice and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God didn't give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us with a, to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but is now being revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Father, thank you so much for these extraordinary words that you've destroyed death, you've taken its power. We thank you, Jesus, you came back from death. We thank you, you sat and ate with your disciples, you fellowship with them, you, you told them, go now, tell the world, death is destroyed. Go tell all the nations, I'm alive from the dead. You can share my triumph, you can share my victory, you can enter into everlasting life. Father, thank you so much for this commission. Thank you for the story of the church. Thank you for the apostles you raised up, the young Timothys who stood with them. And Father, tonight we do pray for the help of the Holy Spirit that we might learn from you, that we might, Lord, follow into all your purposes for us. Come, Lord, breathe your life into us. Get us ready for all that you have for our lives, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm fascinated when Paul writes to Timothy, these two letters, and also to Titus, that although he had alongside him some experienced people like Barnabas and Silas and other men that were his contemporaries, he also drew alongside younger guys. And uh, Timothy was one that he chose. He's moving among the churches and something about Timothy attracted his eye, caught his eye, and he asked the elders of the church there would they release Timothy and he wanted Timothy to travel with him. And then after a season of travelling with Paul, in such a way that Paul could say, he's worked with me like a son with the father. Then he said, I'm sending you, Timothy, uh, in my place, on my behalf. And I would think that's pretty scary. I would think that's terrifying to say, well, I'm representing the Apostle Paul. And uh, you think of the Apostle Paul, he said, well, I was, I was taken up into heaven. I saw things I'm not permitted to speak about. Uh, I was in shipwrecks. When I'm, at, when I'm at an airport and there's a three-hour delay, I always think, thank goodness it's not like Paul, a day and a night in the deep, and uh, in shipwrecks and beatings, and you think, boy, this was a gnarled old guy with tremendous experience, and, uh, well, you were expecting Paul, uh, but it's me, folks, it's Timothy. Uh, you know, you're going to a big show in London, and everyone's told you what a great performance, but the day you get there, it's the understudy, and... Uh, Timothy's the understudy, he's the substitute. He's the one who stands in for Paul. And I would think that's pretty terrifying. I would think that that is alarming. And I want to speak into that somewhat tonight, especially to see 
the sort of thing that Paul told Timothy to do. And if you look at the epistles, you'll find that they're very demanding. He gives him a, a serious commission to do all sorts of things. He tells people, for instance, he says in 1 Timothy 1, instruct certain men not to teach wrong doctrine. So this young guy has got to confront other teachers. He's got to say to them, no, 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 you don't do that, that's wrong. So he's not just to go and give uh, a few sermons. He's got to uh, express spiritual authority. He's got to confront error. He's got to bring change. It says, uh, uh, it says some people are teaching the law. Certain men must be told it's not right to teach law. Some of them were imposing legalism. That's one of the characteristics of the early church. The gospel came with all its freedom, uh, forgiveness, mercy, uh, uh, right standing with God because of the blood of Christ, because it's a finished work. Jesus shouted, it's finished. We now have access to God. And uh, Paul preached that. And many people came to Christ and came to new life. And often, after Paul had moved on, you know, the legalists moved in behind him, probably people from Jewish extraction, and they'd become Christians, but they hadn't got it clear, and they came in. Paul had left, they came in after Paul, and they said, oh, it's great, you Gentiles have received our Messiah. Uh, our, our prophets told us this would happen. This is great, you've received him, uh, but you know, we really know uh, what God desires. We've known him for centuries. Uh, you need to keep the Sabbath uh, you need to be circumcised, you must keep the feast days, and um, you shouldn't really eat those things. And they tried to just clothe the wonderful freedoms of the gospel with all kinds of rules and regulations, uh, just turning our faith, our access, our sonship into slavery. And Paul's so furious with that. He says to Timothy, don't let them do that. Tell them, make sure, let them understand the law is good, provided you use it lawfully, knowing it's not for the righteous. It's for sinners. And so Paul tells Timothy, deal with those things. Be clear, be sharp. And I think we think, wow, I've got to speak on Paul's behalf. I've got to bring some pretty important things. He's told to sort out issues of leadership. It's, it, it, well, I was reading this in my own devotions earlier uh, today, actually, where it talks about sorting out who's a real widow and who's not a real widow. In, in the finances and how the church is cared for widows. Imagine doing that. Imagine going down the line and saying, God bless you, dear. God bless you, dear. You're not a real widow. Uh, <laughs> I think, I wouldn't want this task. This looks really very unpleasant. Uh, and there are lots of things he has to do that are pretty unpleasant. He has to, he has to say, he says, command the rich, 1 Timothy 6. Command the rich. Have you ever tried commanding the rich? It's not easy. Command the rich not to be conceited, uh, but to be generous. And that's pretty tough stuff. So Paul is giving Timothy a very demanding task. And uh, I would think something that would have scared the life out of him. And at the end he also says, and, on top of all that, do the work of an evangelist. You think, okay, Paul, uh, that as well. This, this looks a very demanding program. It's very challenging. It's very scary. So the challenge he faced, first of all. And then secondly, the limitations he felt. He was young. It says, let no man despise your youth. Now actually, it's, it's, it's thought that probably Paul is writing to Timothy. It's, uh, this is his second epistle to Timothy. And uh, he's been working with him for a while. 
so the commentators reckon that by this time, by the time Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, Timothy would probably have been about 40 years of age. So encouraging for people in that, you know, don't let anyone despise your youth. There's a lot of 40-year-olds who would love to hear that. Because uh, this is a culture where age is respected, uh, where the elderly are really elderly. When you lay hands on elders who don't look like they're 25, but on old guys uh, who are really elders... And Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. And sometimes we can feel, yeah, I don't really know enough. I don't really feel qualified. I feel a bit naive compared with others. You may find sometimes you're at college and you just don't have it all down. You're a bit nervous to start a conversation because you feel, well, I don't think I'm... I'm really on top of everything. I don't think I could really handle the argument. And, and often we can just feel that we are a bit redundant because while we haven't got the experience, we don't feel assured, we feel vulnerable. And Paul is saying to Timothy, don't allow vulnerability to undermine you. Don't allow, because God's called you. God's commissioned. I'm commissioning you to go in my behalf. And when I say that to you, Timothy, you've got to understand that I'm doing that by God's direction. And it's for us not to always, right through our lives, feel, I don't know if I've got enough. I don't know that I'm adequate. It's important for us to overcome that and to begin to trust that God can supply what I need if I'm going to serve him. So Paul's saying, okay, you're young. Don't let that trouble you. Don't let that stop you fulfilling your experience. You may feel naive, you may feel vulnerable, but don't let that stop you. And also... It's interesting to see how he sent this man. He's also timid. You wonder why, we'll see shortly, I think, why he called him, but why did he, you know, you're too young and you're timid. He says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Why does he say that? Well, presumably because Timothy tended to be not only young, he's timid as well. He's scared, he's not very comfortable. You see, sometimes people think, well, if someone's going to be a spiritual leader, a Christian leader, they're going to be extrovert, they're going to have it all together, and you can meet some people, ah, oh, he'd be a leader in anything, education, business, the church, you know, he's a born leader. Well, Timothy doesn't look like that. Timothy looks scared. In fact, this is hilarious. He wrote, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16, when Timothy comes, don't frighten him. Imagine that. Imagine me saying to someone, I'm sending Dave Devonish, but when he comes, don't scare him. I don't think anyone was scared, Dave, but you know, that, you write the letter, don't frighten him when he comes, because this guy's style makes him look like he's scared. But you know, many Bible characters look like that. When God first comes to Gideon, he says, Gideon, I want to send you. He says, oh, I'm nobody. Uh, and not only am I nobody, my father was nobody before me. Uh, he's he's, a, he's a, the, one of the poorest families and I'm the least of his household. When God spoke to Jeremiah, said, I'm calling you. Jeremiah says, I'm, only, I'm much too young. And God says, don't say I'm too young. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I chose you. You see, when God begins to initiate something, you need to break out of all those things that say, but I couldn't. It's not possible for me. Because God argues with these people. He overcomes their fears. He says to Moses, I want you to speak. And Moses says, I can't speak. And God, God doesn't say, oh, what a lovely, humble man. He says, God grew angry with him. 
So we need to let that hit us, really. Because sometimes when we feel a bit retiring and we think, well, I can't do it, it's a nice sign of humility. But it says when, when Moses said, I can't speak, God really gets angry because God's been preparing him, watching over him, getting him ready for this task. And so, dear friends, when God begins to start working in your life, don't back off. Don't think, well, I don't think I, I don't think I could do that. It's nothing really to do with you in terms of what you bring to the table. People like Simon Peter, you know, when, when God, when Jesus chose Simon Peter and saw how him, you know, he didn't pray that night to his father. Oh, Father, I found a really, whew, he's so impressive. I'm so glad he's joined me. I mean, what an amazing guy. I've got Simon Peter, one of my twelve. He's really the... And then it comes to the cross and it comes to the time when... He, and then Simon Peter says, No, I'm not with Jesus. A little girl says to him, Are you with him? No, I'm not with him. I don't think Jesus said, Ah, I never knew you'd do that. Forget the whole thing. You know, you're a disaster. No, I think Jesus knew he was a disaster when he chose him. Isn't that wonderful? I find it so encouraging. God knew our frailty when he called us. He's not, he's not fooled by anything. He knows us. He knows our sense of frailty. And yet he still chooses us. And, and so many Bible heroes, so many, men and women, like Esther says, oh, I can't speak. You know, God deals with people and draws them right through to fulfill his purpose for them. So let's not, let's not miss the point here. He chooses Timothy. And he says this about Timothy in, in Philippians 2. He says, I have no one like him. What, what, what is it that impressed you for? I have no one like him who genuinely concerned for you. And he actually makes a comparison. He said, the others are all seeking their own interests. But Timothy is genuinely anxious for you. So there are a lot of external things. He's a bit young, he's a bit scared, but actually he's got a heart of compassion. He genuinely cares. I remember when I was um, quite a young pastor and I was uh, invited to speak at, at the what was called the Millmead Centre, where a man called David Pawson, some of you are too young to remember, uh, David Pawson was probably one of the most outstanding preachers in this country at his time, and he was in Guildford at the Millmead Centre, and it was a, a big centre, people travelled to hear David Pawson, and I remember I was invited to preach there, and I thought, wow, you know, and I'm driving, I remember so vividly, I'm driving up the 281 from Brighton to, to Guildford, and I'm terrified, I mean, I'm scared out of my life, and I'm driving up, oh God, oh God, please let me live through today. Please don't let me die in the pulpit. Oh God, I'm so scared. Oh God, this is awful. I'm driving up the road. And I felt God said, pull off. And I thought, I'm pulled off. I thought, and, I, and I felt God said to me, what's your problem? I said, well, please help me today. Help me today. Please help me today. And I felt God said to me, what about the people? What about the people? Do you care about the people? No, I just don't want to die today. <laughs> and I thought, God really, really spoke to my heart. You're not thinking about the people you're going to serve. You just want to survive being in David Pawson's pulpit. And, and Paul says about Timothy, I've no one like him. He's genuinely concerned about you. I wasn't thinking at all about that. It wasn't even in my mind. I thought, oh God, I'm so sorry. 
And I, I found that as the years have gone by, whenever I get a bit tense about something I've got to do, I, I'm, I think, hey, wait a minute, where should your thoughts be? Is it for you or is it for these you're trying to serve? And I found that really helped me because I find when it's tense, it's getting to me. But when we see here with Timothy, hey, he's got all kinds of limitations, but he's genuinely concerned about you. He wants to serve you. And that's what Paul was so excited about in terms of Timothy. He, yeah, he was young, he was inexperienced, he was a bit timid, wrote to people ahead, don't scare him when he comes, but he actually cared. He has a care for your lives. I have no one like him. He served like a child, serving with the Father. But one more thing that seems to disqualify him, he's too young, he's scared, he's also physically weak. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.23, take a little wine for your frequent ailments. Now, of course, you know what that means. You, you pour... You pour the wine on your hand and then you rub it on your tummy. Take a little wine. That's right. (laughs) Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He's frequently ill. He may have been frequently healed as well, but he was frequently... This guy is too young, he's scared and he's sick. And you think, is this really the right guy to send? What are you doing, Paul? Sending a fellow who looks like he can't do the job. Looks like he's ill-equipped. Looks like the task is too great. What are you doing, Paul? And I find it absolutely thrilling to see Paul's kind of answer to this, which I read to you as part of the passage we just read, which was, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. Right? Timothy, there's something that you have that is enough in spite of all the problems. There's something that can counteract all the sense of limitation. And in fact, that's I'm sure what Jesus was saying when he spoke to the apostles at the beginning. Don't begin, don't start the ministry, all you twelve who ran away when I was crucified, who denied me, who forsook me. Look, look, look. Now, now you've regathered. Wait until you are empowered. Because... The power of God is going to be the key to the outworking of God's purpose right through the book of Acts. And here, Timothy, Paul can refer back to a time when he'd already prayed for Timothy. He said, you have the gift of God. I laid hands on you. You have the gift of God. Like Moses laid hands on Joshua. That you have the gift of God. You have it. Now, don't be casual about it. Don't forget what you have. Right? Fan it into flame. I think the old King James says, stir up the gift that is within you. It's important for us to see that there is an energy which God gave to the early church, which had been given to Timothy, which was other than himself and was enough for all the shortcomings that would have limited him. And I want us to make sure we're seeing this. I felt when I was looking at this that God said to me, don't miss any of the phrases, really every phrase that's in this passage, give it weight. So I want to do that just for a few moments with you. This is the gift of God. Now we very often think, if God's going to use me, I've got to earn that. We tend to think that God's favour, that God might use me, is a reward 
for my having done well. And sometimes we will pray prayers, oh Lord, make me more holy so you can use me. Now I think when we pray prayers like that, we're just confusing a couple of issues. This is a gift. It's God's gift to Timothy. It's not God's reward for holiness. Now I'm not saying God is disinterested in our holiness. This is the will of God, our sanctification. He wants us sanctified. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be in right relationship with him. He doesn't want us to have secret sins in our lives. That's, but the gift of God is not a reward. You're doing very well. Now you can have a gift. You're doing exceptionally well. So here's something that will... No, no, it's free. It comes free. The gift of God, that's the very nature of a gift. Of a gift. It's free. It's not something that is coming out from us. In fact, we tend to think of powerful people as naturally gifted, naturally uh, expressive, leadership qualities and so on, and God kind of gives it a little push on. No, in the Bible it's not like that. When, when people receive the power of God, it's other than themselves. It's not something that's pro- a projection of their personality, it's not a projection of their training, or intellect, or IQ, is something that comes upon them and is other than them. That's true right through the Bible. That's why when Elisha saw Elijah dying, he said, look, if I'm going to continue what you started, I must have the power you had. Because it's quite clear, Elisha is to follow Elijah. Elijah started a ministry, now Elisha's going to continue it. And so he said, I can't do it without... Your, I, need, I need the spirit that was on you. I must have that. I can't do it without that empowering. I need to receive something. I need to receive. And it's not a reward, it's a gift. And so we, we get confused. I don't know about you, but I remember once, uh, years ago, I went to the National Gallery and there was, uh, one, often you see things there, one thing was, there was two paintings of Samson. And they were next to one another and there were notes all around comparing the two paintings. And it was the same, same uh, subject, namely uh, Samson's having his hair cut off by Delilah. And uh, he's kind of draped over her lap, and she's got the scissors. And uh, there's, there's, it's almost an identical, but two different artists. And what was common to both paintings was this. How do you think they portrayed Samson? Well, he's got muscles on his muscles. I mean, he's just huge. Great shoulders and arms. And, and this is Samson. I mean, and so they paint him massive. And when, when, when Hollywood did Samson and Delilah, uh, I remember years ago, long before you were born, a movie, uh, just called, I think, Samson and Delilah. And a guy called Victor Mature played Samson. I mean, he was the hunkiest actor around at the time. So he got the part, you know. And he's Samson. And, uh, but it's, that, the story doesn't say that. The story says, where did you get that power? It's like a mystery. It, it, it's not the projection of what he looks like. It's something other than him coming on him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Why should Samson be played by a great big guy? I mean, you don't, you don't say to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, where did you get that power from? He'd say, oh, pump those irons. You know, that's where you get the power. <laughs> it's obvious. You know, <laughs> work at it. 
that's why I look like this. But Samson must have looked like anybody, mustn't he? Where do you get the power from? Because, you know, <laughs> where does it come from? You look ordinary. That must have been the point. Because he says all sorts of things. Well, don't tie me down with different ropes. Do this, do this, do this. It's not about him. It is that power came upon him. Other than him. Outside of him. Different to him. Of different origin. It came upon him. Same with David. David, the Spirit of God came upon him when Samuel anointed him. He was, he was, a, he was a, a minstrel. A writer of songs. He, he played and sang. But when the Spirit came upon him, he became a warrior. And he's looking after the sheep even before he goes public. And, and, and comes a lion. And like Samson, he tore the lion apart. With his bare hands. And a bear, he said, I tore them apart. It's, that's, that's what Samson did. When, when the Spirit came upon these people, they were changed. They were transformed. When the Spirit came upon Elisha, he ba- I'm just reading, I read McShane, so he takes you through four passages a day. So the Old Testament, I'm just reading about Elisha. What a load of weird stories, eh? Amazing, crazy stories. And what happens? He says, play, somebody play, and they play, and the Spirit comes upon him, and he starts seeing visions. He starts seeing all sorts of things, because something other than him comes upon him. Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, if we're not careful, we will reduce Christianity to morality. What is Christianity? Well, you ask Jesus into your heart, then you try and be good. You go to church, read your Bible. But we're saying, no, no, you are introduced to the life of God. And, and, and there's an energy that comes upon you, that changes you, that gives you new life, that gives you strength and power. That takes someone like Simon Peter, who when a girl comes along and says to him, you're with Jesus, aren't you? No, I don't know him, I've never seen him, I don't know him. And a few weeks later, he's standing up, boldly, courageously, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, we are witnesses. I mean, is that the same guy? It's the same guy. Well, how did he get there? He only had six weeks to get there. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, changed him, transformed him. The coming upon of the Spirit is a transforming thing. And Paul is saying to Timothy, look, you have this gift. And gifts are not deserved. Gifts come... If Christmas is coming, you... I know, the, you know the, the, the thing you put on... I saw someone's tweet the other day. Somebody, she, said, she said on the tweet, she said, she's obviously seen a famous movie lately, and she wrote on her tweet, Dear Father Christmas, may I have Daniel Craig for Christmas? <laughs> then she says, I have been good this year, really. All right? I have been good this year, really. That's the idea. I've been good. Is, are there any, is there any reward for this? Because it comes to you when you're good. But gifts come. Gifts come. I remember when I, I, we were living in America and a certain son of mine, who might remain nameless, uh, was not doing at all well. And uh, having been doing very well before he went, he was a bright, bright Christian. I was very proud of him. And we went to live in America, and it, it kind of threw everything, lost all his friends, lost all that background. It was in a church where the young people were absolutely alive and bright in Jesus. 
And he knew school was a militant place, but church was a place where it was bright and thrilling. And he was doing so well. And I remember being on the platform. It's quite a big church. We were there for two years, and I'd be on the platform. And at one time, he's the only teenager with his hands raised in worship. And then as time goes by, it begins to change. Hands come down. And none of the teenagers in this church were very keen on God. They were kind of the children of the church. They'd grown up with it. They're very turned off by it. They're in the same building seven days a week because the church had its own school, which is often the case in the US. And the school was very legalistic. So you were there Saturday for sport, Monday to Friday lessons. It's all the same. Church rules, regulations, the whole thing. It was just dull. And although the people were quite bright, often church schools they kind of get a bit legalistic, they miss the way and they don't produce life. And all the teenagers were turned off. And there was nobody that was very bright towards God. And gradually his hands came down and gradually he really turned off until he became more and more hostile. And then got into, got into real grunge music. And I don't just mean rock and roll, I mean frightful stuff. I mean, the sort of, the only people he'd have on his wall, which would be big posters, were people who committed suicide and broke their things up and smashed things and, you know, it's just desperate. And he had a, a CD player in his bedroom and when he turned it on, the whole house shook, the whole house. Oh. And it was, you know, it wasn't just nice, friendly rock and roll, it was really horrible. And I remember I go into his room and say, turn it down. And he'd, mm, okay, and I'd walk out of the way and he'd turn it back up again. The house would shake again. Oh, it's dreadful stuff. So awful, so terrible. And all these terrible people having terrible influence. And I was losing my peace and joy. I think this is terrible. This is awful. And, and he, he's getting quite hostile. And I think, oh boy, what's going on? My lovely boy's going bad. What's happening to me? And uh, one day, the CD player broke. Hallelujah. <laughs> I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And it, of course, he hadn't got two cents to rub together, so, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, peace in my home. And uh, I'm, I'm in a prayer meeting. I remember it vividly. I'm in a prayer meeting. We used to gather the pastors right across that area. We're in Missouri. Missouri we knew a number of pastors we were getting to know, and we're getting to work with these churches. And we're in a prayer meeting. And I'm, I'm in this prayer meeting, and, and I, hear, I feel God say to me, buy a new CD player for your son. I said, like, I bind that thought. I bind that thought. I cast it. <laughs> and, I, and, I thought, and I thought, no, no, it came to me. Buy a new CD player for him. Thought, oh, God. And, uh, and I just knew it was God. I knew it was God. So much so that I actually, I didn't go home first. I went to the store first to buy it because it was a real matter of obedience. I thought, wow, this is God. Buy it. And I, and I went home and I, I presented it to him. And... Uh, he said, oh, Dad, thanks. Great. Went back to his room, undid it, stuck it in, put the CD on, put the volume on loud, and boom. I thought, I knew that would happen, Lord. I, <laughs> and it isn't, oh, I repent, I repent. Not at all. No, it took us about another three or four years before Simon came back to God. <laughs> and it was, it was like, ugh, what was that for? Did he deserve it? No. Did he know what to do with it? No. What is it then? It's a gift. 
a gift. Gifts aren't rewards. They're gifts. You see, we get it in our hearts that if God's going to use me, He's going to empower me. Somehow, I've got to achieve something. See, when Simon Peter... Do you remember Simon Peter's walking down the street and he comes to the, to the temple and, and there's, a, there's a, a beggar at the gate of the temple asking for money. And Simon Peter says, I don't have any money. But then he says this, look at me, look on me. And he looks up at him. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I'll give you. In the name of Jesus, get up. And the guy gets up. And then it says, the crowd gathered around Peter. He says, why are you looking at me? He said, well, you just said, look at me. He's saying to the, 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 the leper, look on me. And then when they say, wow, you're amazing. He says, why do you look on us as though through our piety we had performed this? It's nothing to do with his piety. It's nothing to do with Wow, Peter, here's your reward. You're such a holy man. No, no, no. Five weeks earlier, six weeks earlier, a little girl had said to him, are you with Jesus? No, I blankety-blank am not. He swore. No, I'm not. How do you get that power? You have to go to the school and learn to blaspheme God. See, what? That's ridiculous. I mean, you did that. and No, it's, it's a gift. Can we understand that, dear friends? It's a gift. See, sometimes when we come to God, it's very important we understand this, we come to God, and you see, we have, a, we have an, a, an opponent, the, the, the devil, he's called the accuser of the brethren. I'm sure the sisters are included, right? He's the accuser of the people of God, who accuses us day and night. Day and night. And the, the Bible doesn't say does anything else day and night, but he accuses Christians day and night. In fact, Satan means accuser. So one of his greatest weapons, one of his most effective weapons is telling you you're useless. You're no good. Who do you think you are? You call yourself this, I think this about you. He is constantly bombarding you with accusation. That's what the Bible says. Day and night. Day and night, he's saying to you, you're useless, you're useless. So, one of his great weapons, we tend to think Satan lives in Soho, he's trying to lure you into... No, the Bible says, he is telling you you're useless. Most, mostly, that's what he's doing. He's, he's trying to undermine your sense of being accepted. See, one of the most wonderful things, and that's why I think we love when we come to worship, uh, and maybe the worship leader chooses to sing a song like, where I'm accepted, I'm forgiven... I am loved by the everlasting. And you say, your heart starts rising because Satan wants to challenge that. You are not acceptable. But the blood of Jesus says you are acceptable. There is no condemnation. But that's so unfair. That's right, it's unfair. It's a scandal of the gospel. That he's made us accepted. He's, he gives us gifts because we're in Jesus. And it's a gift. Not because we've done well. It's not because we wrote to Father Christmas. I did a good thing this year. No, it's a gift. And sometimes when people come to be prayed for, even to receive the Spirit freshly, and I've often got in, people start crying, I don't think I'm worthy. And I'll say to them, of course you're not worthy. <laughs> you know, God, maybe God's not ready for me because I'm not worthy yet. 
How long are you going to take? Take your lifetime. You'll never earn. How can we earn anything from God? The difference between his purity and us is so vast. You'll never be worthy. And so it comes as gift. We must learn that. So it's almost like God deals with us down two channels, if you can hear me. He wants me to be holy. Of course he does. He wants me to be like his son. He wants to conform us to the image of Jesus. He's so pleased with Jesus. And so he's drawing me that way all the way. But he doesn't say, if you'll meet me there, I'll give you. No, no. He says, I'll give you freely. Gifts come free. Gifts are free. Amen? We believe it. So it's so important because you will find your mind will slip back to maybe we're not good enough. Maybe we haven't done enough. Maybe, and so we're trying to earn things that God says, no, I give them free. And it's in God's very character to be liberal. That he gives freely. He will give. And so here in the scripture, it's not because of our holiness. And so Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. And sometimes when we feel I'm not done very well lately, and we, you see, it's in, what I want to skim, we come to this mo- in the moment, I, I don't want to rush ahead, but stir it up. Stir up the gift. What, you mean it's not automatic? No, it's not automatic. You mean Paul laid hands on you? And you still have to stir it up? Yes. Sometimes we think, if only I could have, oh, if only Reinhard Bonker would lay hands on me. You know, wow, Whew, that would last a lifetime. I mean, that would be electric. Wow, Reinhard Bonker. You know, Billy Graham lay hands on me. Paul laid hands on Timothy. You think he might be better than Reinhard Bonker? Yeah, but still, you stir it up. So you have a gift, and he says earlier in the, earlier in the letter, don't neglect the gift that's in you. It's possible to neglect, yes, It's possible to neglect, to have a gift and neglect it. To not take it seriously. And so, we'll come back to that in a moment. It's a gift, and it's from God. See, is this something other than ourselves? It's something God gives. It's something... You see, we tend to play things down a little. Even the language we use sometimes... You know, if it, we're seeing, we'd be seeing a vision. We may be God speaking to us. And, and sometimes, I'm not trying to belittle the language too much, but we sometimes, I have a picture, you know, kind of, kind of slightly play it down a bit. I'm seeing something. God's showing me something. I, if we're a bit scared to use that language, maybe, or to even accept that it's just God saying this to me. And sometimes you can even be in a meeting. I've been in meetings sometimes. We're discussing things, maybe an eldership meeting, and we're discussing things, and, uh, and you think, well, that's... The obvious answer is this, but of course everybody knows that. It hasn't come up in the conversation yet, but you won't say it because it's obvious. And so, you know, and after a while you think, well, I better say it because no one said it. So you say it and people think, wow, that is the answer. And you think, yeah, but everybody knew that. No, actually God's showing you something. God gives us words. God gives us insights. He gives us wisdom. He gives us words of knowledge. He gives us... So, it's other than us, it's another power, and it's recognising when it happens. And discerning that it's different to me. And not being scared of owning. I was once, I remember I was mowing my lawn, and I, I remember going up and down, I've got, I've got in my ears, Bill Hybels, famous preacher from America, 
and he's preaching and I'm, and I'm, driving, I'm pushing the mower. I can remember it vividly. I'm pushing the mower and I hear in my ears, Bill Hybel says, I have a wonderful gift of leadership. And I remember stopping thinking, I have a wonderful gift of Who does he think he is? <laughs> you know, typical English thing, you know. Who does he think he is? Nothing. He said, I have a gift. He's speaking the truth. He's got a remarkable leadership gift. See, if your father gave you a Mercedes, you say, I have a wonderful Mercedes my father gave me. And Bill Hybels is just saying, I have a wonderful gift of leadership. Wow. I don't think I'd ever use such language, but actually he's got a lot of scripture, hasn't he? I understand that God's given me a gift. I want to encourage us, dear friends, that if we're going to touch our generation, our poor, poor contemporaries who don't know there's a God, haven't got a clue about life, if we don't tap into the energy God's giving us and expect it and cooperate and and anticipate and co-work with. See, Paul's saying to Timothy, I know you're young, I know you're scared, you're even sick sometimes, but stir up the gift that's in you because that's enough. What is the answer to too young, too scared? The gift in you. That's the answer, Timothy. Don't neglect it. The answer is the gift that's in you. Stir up the gift that's in you. The gift, which is from God, which is where? It's in you. That's fascinating. It's in you. See, I tend to think, we tend to think it's out there somewhere. No, Paul has laid hands on him and says, now the gift is in you. It's there. It's in you. Stir it up. Now, there are similar verses. It says, interesting, in John 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well, you remember that story? He comes to a woman at the well, he says, give me a drink. And uh, they have this little discussion, which we won't go into. And he said, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask him, he would give you living water, and you would have in you a well of water springing up. Now, he's asking for a drink, but he said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me, and you could have in you a well. And she's kind of half understanding and getting confused. You know, the wires are crossed in this conversation. She says, give me it. Then I won't have to keep coming to this well. If you give me the well, I won't have to keep coming to the well. She's understanding. He's, He's offering me the well. See, we tend to think, you know, we come to church on Sundays and, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you, you met with me. Thank you, you spoke to me. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for Sunday. Tomorrow, slap, Monday. Oh, Monday. (laughs) Grief, Tuesday. Wednesday. Thursday. Oh, it's Friday. Will I make it to, oh, get to Sunday. Get to the well again. It's like the well is in church. I've got to get to the well. No, Jesus said you can have the well. I can have the well. There you have the well in you. What? You can have the well. Not just a drink, you have the well springing up within you. I think many believers haven't understood what Jesus is offering. He's offering the well. <laughs> you can have the whole thing. I'll be with you, I'll be in you. A well of life springing up. No, it's great to come to the meeting. There's lots of encouragements. Of course there are. It's great to gather with the believers, of course. Of course it is. But Jesus says you can have the well. Do you realise you've got the well? Paul says to Timothy, come on, don't neglect the gift that is in you. 
You can have in you a well springing up. I love what it says in the Old Testament. Spring up, O well, sing to it. If you come to my house early in the morning, you'll hear me singing. Because I'm singing, I'm saying, come on, spring up, O well, sing to it. I sing, I sing hymns, I sing songs, I sing, I'm just singing, I'm spring up, O well. Why? Because there's a well on the inside. There's a life in there. You know, if you listen to the devil, he'll tell you, you're useless. Now just say, oh, thank you, Lord, you love me. See, some people will say, when you pray, the first thing you do is confess your sins. Clean the sheet, then you begin to pray. Don't do that. <laughs> right, don't do it. But Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say confess your... See, people make up little things like, see, for com- start with confession. Don't start with confession. Because you go to God and say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for... And then Satan, he's got your ear. You say, I'm sorry about that. And he says, what about that? Oh yeah, I'm sorry about that too. It's like he gives you a big shovel and you dig a big hole, you jump in. Oh God, and there was that. Oh yeah, and that. And so the best you can do at prayer is just get back up to ground level if you're lucky. No, just start singing. Father, thank you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yeah, if you go through the Lord's Prayer, which is a helpful kind of structure, you get to it and forgive us. That's not inappropriate. But if you start with... Lord, I'm so sorry. You're going to get in trouble. We need to know the well's there. We need to start singing to God, worshipping God, celebrating God. Oh, happy day. Thank you, Jesus. You took my sin. Thank you, Lord. No condemnation now, I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. See, sing out truth. Sing out. Spring up, O well. Sing. Stir up the gift that's in you. Because it's in you. I once was preaching in a place I went to uh, stay the weekend, stay at this couple's home. I remember I went to bed and on the Saturday night, I'm preaching on the Sunday morning, and the lady said to me, uh, there's the bathroom, there is hot water. And I went to my bed, I went to the bathroom in the morning, I turned on the tap, it was freezing, absolutely freezing. And I let it run and it's still freezing, and I let it run and it's still freezing, I let it run, it's still freezing. <laughs> but she said to me, it's hot. So I kept running. Because she said it was hot. By the time I left that bathroom, I couldn't see my face in the mirror because of steam. I reckon, I reckon the pipes must have gone all down the street. She must have heated every, <laughs> every house. But it was true. And you see, sometimes, you see, the psalmist says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. See, sometimes you get out of bed, but your soul's still lying there, isn't it? Come on, soul, get up. And, and, and the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you have to speak to yourself, otherwise yourself will speak to you. Actually, Satan speaks to you. And so we have to stir up the gift that is within us. It's almost, it's got this with Jesus too, and talks about, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, look for, he anointed me. He's not talking about a feeling he has. He's talking about an event that took place. See, we tell, what do you feel anointed? He anointed me. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He anointed me. It happened. Back in Luke 4. It's an event that took place, not a feeling I'm experiencing. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's an event that took place. He anointed me to do this. He's with me to do this. 
The anointing's with me. It's not, and we use the word anointing very liberally. It's an anointed song, anointed me, anoint him. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord's on me. He anointed me. It happened. After I was baptized, he anointed me. It's with me now. The Spirit's in you. Stir up the gift that's in you. You'll have in you the well of water. It's in you. Now for us, we need to be careful that we are not ignoring it. Don't neglect the gift. Don't ignore the presence of the Spirit within you. Don't reduce that to something less than the Bible says it should be. So learn to engage with the presence of the Spirit. Learn in the meeting as well, but when you're on your own, learn to engage with the presence of the Spirit. Enjoy Him. He's within us. Fan into flame. And it may be there are other gifts, particular gifts, that we have. And sometimes we, we start and then we, we stop. Maybe God gave you a real evangelistic gift and you maybe you just hit one or two barriers, one or two setbacks. We turn back. Maybe you began to prophesy in a meeting and you just kind of suddenly thought, what do I do? Ah, and you either stopped or you went on too long or, and someone said, mm, when you did that, you, you think, oh, I'm never doing that again. You see, sometimes we, we get into a dimension and and then we back off. We think, oh. And if, we, if enough of us do that, we won't, we won't be a people enjoying the presence of God because there's a thing about enjoying the presence of God which requires us stepping off the boat, stepping out of our limitations, stepping into the dimension. Maybe I could just close with my own a word of testimony. I, God, what happened? To, when, I, when I got filled with the Spirit, I thought, we're going to see all sorts of things happen now in terms of signs and wonders and healings. and It didn't really start happening. Well, how does this work? It's confusing. And uh, I, I, one day I, 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 was in, I had serious back pain. And uh, I got used to it. I just lived with the pain. And I was told, you know, you go to the, I went to the doctor. He looked at it, sent me to the hospital, looked at my back, x-rays, mm, no, you know, just don't sit on a hard bench, they said. I'd been sitting in the waiting room for an hour. <laughs> the only time I sat on a hard bench was waiting. Don't sit on a hard bench. I'm, Thank you very much. And, uh, and then later, I was taken to an osteopath. I lay on the, his thingy, and, and uh, he said to the person who took me, you tell him what's wrong with him. And they said, well, you're the, you know. No, just look, tell him what's wrong. And I'm just lying on the bench, and they, look, and they said, well, I can see one leg's longer than the other. He said, that's why he's got the pain. The pain is here, but the problem is he's got one leg longer than the other. That's what it is. So, okay. He said, the problem is they're looking at the pain. They're not looking at the cause. Okay. So then I started going regularly for kind of manipulation of my back. And after a while, it wasn't getting any better and I was paying money. And I thought, oh, forget it. So I just got used to living with pain. And I couldn't have stood like I'm standing here tonight. And I just, you know, you just make, find a way. You sort of sit on the edge of tables and you just get used to it. And then one day a guy came to the church where I was and he said, I want to pray for people who've got lower back pain. Mm, I've got lower back pain. So come forward. I went forward. Several people went forward. And then he said to us, the reason you have back pain is you've got one leg longer than the other. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's what the guy said. So, 
he sat on the floor and he took my feet in his hands and prayed a very short prayer and my short leg grew. And that was the end of the pain. I had no more pain. I, I mean, I stood, I stood... The next Saturday I watched Brighton play football for two hours without pain and that's a miracle. Uh, <laughs> it, it was, I mean, it was just like... It was, there was no... It was just gone. And it's been gone ever since. I was... I thought, wow. And then he said to me, you do it, you do it. So I immediately did, and someone, I thought, wow. And, and for a little while, I started praying for people. And then I thought, I don't know about this, it's strange, really. Because I thought, I don't have much faith for other things, but I've seen a number of people healed with this. And then I was praying for people, and I came to a place, and the guy said, oh, Terry's going to do his leg trick. <laughs> oh, my leg trick. So I thought, oh, forget it, I'm not doing that anymore. So I left it. And then a little while later, someone, I was speaking at Spring Harvest, and a guy came up to me and said, are you Terry Virgo? Yes. He said, do you remember you prayed for me years back? I had back pain. I've never had pain since. Thanks so much for praying. I thought, I don't do that anymore. And uh, he's had no pain for years now. Hmm. And then a neighbour of ours said to Wendy, my husband's locked up. He's got, he's just terrible pain. And uh, Wendy said, oh, Terry will come down and pray. So Terry went down and pray. <laughs> and, 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 and I prayed and his short leg grew and he was, next day I saw him in the street. He said, I've been digging concrete out of my garden this morning. I'm okay. I thought, oh Lord. And I felt God said to me, stop holding back. Don't neglect that gift. So I thought, okay. So I started praying for people again. I was praying for some people in the States and I, I prayed for a lady and it was a weekend conference. The second day she stood up and said, may I testify? She said, Terry prayed for me last night. She said, this morning I put my own shoes on for the first time for 21 years. Said, I've been. And then I prayed for someone in the, uh, the church in Poole where Matt Hosier is the pastor. And, and the next day he came to the morning meeting, he interrupted the worship, he said, Terry prayed for me last night. He said, the only way I can come downstairs in the morning is to go down backwards. The pain is so great. And he said, he prayed for me last night. He said, I ran downstairs forwards. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thought, wow, this is very exciting. So we're, you know, I just thought, I'm going to do it. And uh, I, was at, I was in the States again. I prayed for it. I was sitting, there's quite a few people because apparently, I read in the Reader's Digest, that 80% of back pain is because people have one leg longer than the other. 80% Reader's Digest. I saw an article in the Telegraph said similar. It's very common. So I, I started doing it again. I see lots of people healed. And, uh, and I'm in a place and I'm, I'm praying and then I come to, I'm going down the line, you know, praying for people. And I come to this next guy and he said, my knees are shot through. I thought, uh, knees shot through? I thought, hmm, what's that then? Uh, okay, I'll pray for you. And I prayed for him. He said, thank you. He jumped up. And I'm, and I'm just about to pray for the next person and the people looking this way all start laughing. I thought, what are they laughing at? And I turn around and this guy's jumping off the chairs. And he said, he said, he said I can play basketball again. I thought, great. And then the next guy says to me, broken collarbone, broken in three places. I thought, broken collarbone? So he said, someone came up behind me the other day, just tapped me on the shoulders. I fell to the ground with the pain. So I could never carry a bag over that shoulder. I've got metal in here. I thought, oh. so I prayed for him. A big smile on his face. He said, wow, 
wow. And then the bouncy guy came around and slapped him on the shoulder. And, and, and he just laughed. Oh, my word. So we began to see, began to see things opening out, opening out. I was at Sunbury oh, just a few months ago. There's a lady there, and she's in the worship group, and she's got her hands up, I noticed. I didn't take much notice. But she came to me and said, I can only move my arms within that radius. I can't get them any higher than that. And I can't put my hands behind my back. That, that's it. She had, I had surgery. She showed me a scar, four vertebrae. I said, uh, that's it. I can't. I said, would you pray for me? So I prayed for her, put my hands on her shoulders, and then I just said, come on then, just raise your hands then. And she began to, I said, oh no, I'm scared. So we just waited and I said, come on, let's try again. So she went up and her hands went up and up and up and up. And her friends were all standing around, they were laughing, look at this. And then she put her hands behind her head. She said, I haven't touched the back of my head for years. She said, people, other people have to shampoo my hair for me. And she was laughing and crying. And then she put her hands down and then she put her hands and held her hands behind her back. She said, I can't do this. I can't do this. And we began to see all sorts of things started happening. And I found that God had given me a little gift. And it was a funny little gift. I didn't quite understand how it worked. And I, I ignored, I neglected the gift. But since I found God said, no, come on. Come on. And maybe God's given you a gift. Maybe you've prayed for people. Or maybe you've prophesied. Or maybe you think, oh, I don't know, I lost it that time. I'm not doing that again. All sorts of things, that gifts that God gives us. And we can stop. But if we will press through, if we will say, Lord, I want to fan into flame this gift. I want, and, I, and I want to keep this clear. It's a gift. You see, that's, we've got to keep this, that's why I felt God said to me, look at every phrase here. Because we tend to think, no, I've lost it. No, I'm not worthy anyway. I'm a useless. See, worthy is nothing to do with gifts. Gifts are gifts. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. It's not that I have done well, I, I deserve. Paul, Tim, uh, Simon says, Simon Peter says, why are you looking at me? As though I am. No, it's God. So, beloved, as we just uh, begin to wind up here, Paul's saying to a young guy, don't let people ignore you. Don't turn yourself off. Don't disqualify yourself. You've got someone who will try and disqualify you all the time, the accuser. He'll try and disqualify you. He'll try to make you ineffective. Don't allow that to happen. Because it's a gift. And Jesus has made you, there's no condemnation. There is no condemnation. So you, you qualify. It's the only reason we qualify. Not because we're worthy of something. We are not. It's gift. God is willing to give gifts. And when you give, now use them. Fan into flame. Stir up the gift that's in you. Don't like, be like the one talent man who took it and hid it in the ground. He said, I know you're a hard man. You're trying to reap where you've not sown. I've hidden it. And Jesus said, no, 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 come on. You should put it out there in the marketplace. Put it out there. Let's see what God will do with you. Be faithful in a little. God will give you more. Give you faith, be faithful in what is in others. He'll give you your own. Fan into flame. Don't neglect. Don't think, well, if it was there. No, no, 
Paul, Paul laid hands on Timothy. The Apostle Paul. You think that would last a lifetime? Now, you still, it's still your responsibility, Tim, to stir up what happened when I laid hands on you. Don't think, well, it wasn't real then. It's kind of wound down. Couldn't have been real. Paul doesn't say to Timothy, couldn't have been real. I've laid hands on it. It doesn't seem to have taken. He doesn't say that. He says, Timothy, I laid hands on you. Now, you, you stir it up. It's your responsibility. So we need to do that. We need to be careful. We see, what is it that puts a fire out? Fan into flame, the fire. Well, people throw buckets of cold water on you, don't they? Put out, you need to, that happened to David. David at one time, it says they all turned against David. They wanted to stone him. At Ziklag, he'd lost everything. And he says, David did what? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he said, Lord, what should I do? And he went to battle and won back everything that was lost. But he started by encouraging himself in the Lord again. He didn't ask for the guidance first. What should I do? And they said, go, no, no. First of all, they're trying to stone him. They're saying, you're a rubbish leader. You are hopeless. We were going to follow you, but you're trash. No, he encouraged himself in the Lord. He said, Lord, thank you. You've chosen me. You're for me. You're with me. He stirred up his spirit within him. Then he said, shall we go to battle? They said, go. He went and recovered everything. Encouraged. We need, we need to learn to take responsibility for ourselves. Keep yourself, it says, in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Take responsibility for the gift that is within you. I'd like to pray, if anyone here today has pain in their lower back, I'd love to pray for you. I believe you'll be healed. And uh, then we could go and pray for other things. I prayed for a lady when I was in Guadalajara and uh, she had a bent spine. I prayed for a lady with a bent spine in Leeds who was a doctor and I felt the spine moving under my hand. And she sent me uh, x-rays before and after and she was her doctor. And as we prayed that morning in the church, her husband put his arms around her afterwards and she, he said, it feels different. <laughs> and uh, she, she sent me this letter with all the medical stuff in it Yes, yeah, spine. And I was, I was in Guadalajara and this lady said, I've got a bent spine and I found myself saying, it won't be like that for long. <laughs> but we've seen a few people healed and my face beginning to grow. I said, it won't be like that. And I prayed for her and she fell. And she got up and she said, all the pain's gone. It's gone. It's okay. I thought, wow, thank you, Jesus. And when I went back to Guadalajara this year, she came with her daughter who was deaf in one ear. She said, will you pray for my daughter? And she was so full of faith because she'd been healed. And I, I prayed for her and after I prayed, she said, I can hear, I can hear. And so I saw faith growing, growing, growing. And, and I, I, th I find, Lord, just let our faith grow. Fan into flame. The gift of God. And so we'll just pray in a moment. And if, if anyone's got, a, got lower back, I, I, I find it helpful to start there. Because I find I've got faith that is very simple for that. You may say, well, I don't know if I've got faith. I, I can honestly say, you don't need it. I believe you'll be healed. If you've got lower back pain, you'll be healed. And then we'll see what God will do after that, maybe for other things too. And there may be others here, may get, some people here get words of knowledge. They know it doesn't tend to happen to me. But sometimes people know, they think there's somebody here who's got this or that and so on. There may be other people here who'd like to pray.
They just know in their spirit this is a problem here. And they'll pray. So we could have more than one of us pray. I know time's gone a bit more than I thought, but we'll just pray and then we'll do it. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you know our frame. You know, Lord, some of us are timid and some of us feel, I haven't been a Christian very long, I'm, I'm very young in the faith. And some of us may even feel, I don't know, I seem to pick up any bug that's around. I, I'm prone to illness. And Lord, we just thank you. You chose Timothy, who looked so disqualified. And you gave him your Holy Spirit. And that was enough. Well, I just want to pray that this word we've looked at tonight, that Lord, it will, I pray, help us to respond to it. Help us not to neglect. Thank you, said you can have in you the well. You can have the well. Everything you need for life and godliness. I give you everything you need. Lord, I do pray, help us to draw from the well, to believe it's there, believe you're there for us, with us. Holy Spirit, would you keep working in us then? And Lord, we do welcome your presence here. Thank you, Jesus, that you, you said, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. Lord, we welcome you. I do pray you'll heal us tonight. I pray you'll heal many here tonight. You'll, you'll act powerfully. You'll touch our bodies. You'll take away our pain. Lord, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. We welcome you here. We thank you that you're with us. Thank you want to change the pace with which we run here tonight. You're here to meet us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Hallelujah.